You're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. We're happy to be with you uh, today again on the South Stands Buckeye Football Podcast. Today we're going to break down the 2020 schedule. We're going to take a deep dive, game-by-game look at the 2020 schedule, which I've been really eager to do uh, for a couple of weeks now. And we're going we're gonna to pretend we're going back to Fantasy Island for Buckeye fans. We're going to pretend that the, that the 2020 <laughs> schedule will happen. Uh, not pretend, but certainly hope. We're hopeful that the 2020 schedule will happen I do think it would be a good idea just to go uh, quickly over some um, uh, some news, I guess, uh, relative to COVID-19 in college football. It's beginning to look more and more like some states, conferences, schools, primarily in the South, will be more willing, if not ready, to play football in the fall than others. Georgia's been open for three weeks. Uh, Paige, I don't know if you saw that. They've been open for three weeks. And they've been reporting a decline in their numbers. But then I just saw something, a, a tweet saying that actually they've been misreporting their numbers. And actually their numbers are not in decline, but they've been open for three weeks. Uh, on Monday, Florida is moving to a, quote, full phase one reopening, which includes professional sports venues. And also on Monday, Texas is going to begin reopening office buildings, gyms, exercise facilities. Uh, last week, you had Auburn President Jay Googe say in a video addressed to incoming freshmen that Auburn will have open classes this fall, as well as fraternity and sorority activities. And he says, quote, we're going to have football, which I, I thought was a pretty bold proclamation, but he seems pretty confident. ACC Commissioner John Swafford said on Thursday, we're going into this year with the, anticipa- with the anticipation of playing at this point. All of our institutions are indicating they intend to open in various fashions as we go into the fall. Um, West Virginia president, we know this guy, E. Gordon Gee, um, he said last week, we're going to play football in the fall even if I have to suit up. Uh, and then you have which is, which is, <laughs> which is funny because the last uh, like quote I remember that guy saying was when Trestle was in all that trouble and he said, oh, fire Trestle. He's like, I hope Trestle doesn't fire me. <laughs> That's like, right. Yeah, he's like, famous. Oh, Gordon. <laughs> he's yeah. He's infamous for for uh, for his quotes. Um, you also have schools like uh, the University of Arizona and Arizona State both recently announcing plans to open their campuses in the fall 2020 semester. So, the Wildcats and the Sun Devils will be playing football this fall. It appears. Did did didn't. Um, I thought I saw this morning that uh, the president of Northwestern mentioned something. I, it might have been on Twitter. It's hard to keep track. But, yeah. Um, the, uh, you didn't see that? I, I did see that. And I actually read the quote, which was interesting because um, let me see if I can find the quote. Um, yeah, here. Okay. So it was reported by 24-7 Sports. And the headline reads, Big Ten expected to have all 14 schools for the football season. And then the quote was kind of, here's the quote, uh, Northwestern Pre- President Morton Sh- Shapiro, who chairs the Big Ten's Council of Presidents and Chancellors, told me today, I don't see that we're going to have a Big Ten football season with 12 of the 14 schools playing. This is from Adam Rittenberg, I believe. Uh, I'd be surprised if we play and it's not all 14 of us. 
And then it says, to clarify, Shapiro expects all 14 schools to, play, to be able to play this fall unless state policies prohibit campuses from, from opening. So hmm. I, I read the quote and I was like, oh, okay. Uh, it, it seems like he's kind of hedging. I don't know. If, you know, anyone with any authority in the Big Ten has been very you know, careful in the way that they've worded their, their responses to questions around this topic. Um, but I, yeah, I guess that's, you know, that's better than, than the alternative, right? Uh, it seems, he seems fairly confident. Um, but, but then on the other hand, you have Oregon governor, Kate Brown saying last week that all mass gatherings, including sporting events are banned through at least the, the end of September. And that of course leaves the September 12th matchup between Ohio state and Oregon in doubt, which we'll talk about in a moment. You also have Cal, the Cal state university system, which includes three FBS programs, San Diego state, Fresno state, San Jose state announced that it will only hold virtual classes in the fall. So the question is, will the UC system follow suit? You know, that includes Cal, UCLA. And if they do, where does that leave the Pac-12? Yeah. Um, so, the, the, well, so so did you happen to catch that the, the, the German professional soccer I did not. league actually? No. So it, it, it started up this weekend, like real games. Wow. But they did them in, it was on FS1. I don't even know how to pronounce the league. Bundesliga League, whatever. <laughs> um, and not that I know anything about soccer, not that I know anything about German uh, professional soccer, but, you know, just in the, just jonesing for any type of athletic, you know, competition right. that turned it on Saturday morning. <laughs> And it is very weird. I got to tell you, it's really strange um, with because there was nobody in the stands. Wow. And it took what was, you know, normally I would say my over under of how long I would actually, you know, I do this with like Monday night football. Mm -hmm. Like I'm excited to watch Monday night football and then the game comes on and within eight minutes, I'm just so thoroughly fucking bored of that product that I turn <laughs> the channel. Um this was about two minutes and I couldn't, it's, it, it really wasn't watchable. And ironically, they had Premier League games, like replay games on with fans. And I sort of turned over to that to sort of the, 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 the you know, just to compare the two. Right. Um, and I, I guess this is a long way of a point of saying it, it is a very strange thing to try and hold these events with nobody in the stands. I'll bet. And I can't even imagine what it would be like to do it with college football. So yeah. it'd be, you know, really, yeah. really interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, in no other sport, I think, are fans more a part of the experience than in college football. I mean, you have these great home field advantages, like the whiteout at Penn State, you know, mm -hmm. or Death Valley at LSU, you know, where the fans really do, uh, you know, impose their will, it's, or so it seems, on the outcome of the game. I mean, there, there, there is a, you know, the, the effect is, the presence is palpable. Um, and then I, I don't know what it'll be like watching the games on TV. I'm, you and I are such junkies. I'm probably going to sit there with sweaty palms watching a you know, game in an empty yeah, stadium either way, get, you know? Don't get me wrong. I mean, if you, if it's something you'd love, you'll sit there and watch it. It was better. Like this was nothing I would ever, you know, watch in a million years, but it right. was the first live, you know, real sporting event. I really think since, you know, this whole, COVID thing broke. So college football, yeah, absolutely. They'll get the eyeballs on the TV. That that fan base won't go away for sure. And it's funny you say like the whiteout and 
in Happy Valley. I know we're going to go through the schedule, but I'm like, yeah, you know what? That's not a bad proposition for the Buckeyes. Not to have <laughs> not any fans there for that particular game. It might no. be kind of worth it in the big picture. Yeah, yeah. No, I would not hate the idea of no Penn State fans in the stands uh, in that game. Yeah. Um, it, so it, it's you know for for our purposes, it's it's still unclear which way the Big Ten and its member institutions are leaning at this stage. They've been pretty tight-lipped so far. Maybe I've missed something, Paige. Let me know if I have. I know the conference has formed a task force, which meets weekly by video conference, that's been advising Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren. And I assume they're still kind of in the data collection phase and, you know, information's changing. It's a fluid situation. But I personally haven't heard or read anything substantive from Ohio State officials yet. Um, no. And I know that uh, Ohio Governor uh, Mike DeWine just allowed outdoor restaurants, barbershops, hair, and nail salons to reopen on Friday. I, I think I might have texted you, you guys, uh, the, the thread uh, a video. Maybe I had, and I, I know I texted it to my, my buddy Dan, but a video of the Short North on Friday night uh, when they reopened <laughs> restaurants and bars just for outdoor consumption. I mean, the places were packed. There was no social distancing whatsoever. Uh, I don't know. if Did you happen to see that? I did. I yeah. did. Yeah. And the same thing with the bars in Madison, the second, like, like literally the minute the the law went down, the bars were packed. Just packed. Well, what yeah. do you expect? Right? What do you expect? Yeah. I, there was a funny, somebody uh, on Twitter today circulated one of those videos from Friday night in the, in the short North. And, and he's with the caption, like, do you guys, do you guys want a football season or no? It's, <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, so, you yeah. know, we'll see how that goes. I, I know that this coming Thursday, Ohio uh, will start allowing dine-in service at restaurants. Um, mm. So that's another step toward reopening. Uh, now, you know, none of this is the same thing as allowing 90,000 90, fans to gather in Ohio Stadium on a Saturday, but it would appear Ohio is on the path to reopening. That's, this is really all we know at this point. No official word has come down yet from anybody who has any authority on whether there'll be a 2020 college football season. The situation, as I said, is fluid, but with many states reopening on some level, I, I think we should have a better idea in the next three or four weeks of whether there'll be a 2020 season, right? Because if we start seeing significant increases in COVID-19 cases, hospitalizations, deaths, uh, especially in the states that have been pretty aggressive about reopening, like Georgia, Florida, and Texas, who've all been open for the last several weeks, then I think we'll have our answer about whether there'll be a 2020 season. So these next few weeks, I think, are critical. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah. Um, you know, I was just envisioning, you know, a place like Ohio Stadium. You know, logistically, it wouldn't be that freaking hard to figure out how do we put 20,000. You could, what, put 30,000 people? It's okay. Say 20,000 people in there and keep them six feet apart. Like Require I, masks. Yeah. Yeah, require masks. Mm -hmm. I don't see how that is necessarily you know that big of a uh, process or an undertaking i mean you can figure that out pretty pretty easily it seems to me but yeah the bigger picture is and i don't know if it's going to be in the next few weeks because i think i think what will happen is yeah the cases will continue to go down um you know with our five second attention span most of the country will move on <laughs> um and when we will see the spike is right 
when it will coincide with the start, start of football, season, football yeah. season. And then you could, then I could, what I can, I could envision a scenario where it's, yes, this is happening. This is happening. And all of a sudden, no, it's not. you know, all hell breaks loose. And then they just pull the shoot, the plug on it. Like they did with everything else it, or not. I mean, I guess, mm. and that's the other thing. And the other thing is speculate all you want. No one knows what the fuck is going to happen. Right. So it's yeah. just, it, we just it, don't it's know. So tiresome. Like, yeah. it, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, whatever, just let it happen. I guess at this point, we can't control it. And if and if you're watching the news, you're watching Twitter, and you'll see in one breath somebody like you know Auburn's president will come out and say, "No, we're having you know, we're having open classes, we're having fraternity and sorority activities, we're going to have football." And then you know, 15 minutes later, a, an elected official from another state will say, "No, we're banning." Uh, large gatherings through, you know, well into the fall. So yeah, it's, I'm, I'm kind of like you. I'm a little tired of the roller coaster ride. I mean, if you're following Twitter, like many people are from one moment to the next, the news seems to change. It is very fluid. However, for the purposes of this exercise today, you and I are going to pretend we're going back to Buckeye Fantasy Island and we're Fantasy going Island. to proceed as if the 2020 Ohio State football schedule will happen as, as scheduled. Um, before we get started, I just want to give a big shout out to sports-reference.com. That's sports-reference.com. Um, that, that's a great site. I actually pulled all the historical data that you and I are going to use on the pod today for these matchups from that site. I, what I love about it is it's all plain text and there's no pop-up ads and there's no uh, you know pop-up videos, right? Players that are set to play as soon as you launch the site that slow everything down. So if you're a, a you know, college football nerd and you just want to get you know data, in plain text, it's a great site for that. Um, What's it called? It's called sports-reference.com. That's actually the, I think the name of the site is Sports Reference, but the web address is sports-reference.com. Um, now, the one thing about uh, their data is uh, for college football, it only goes back to 1904. So if you care about college football results that happened in the 19th century, like you know Michigan and Notre Dame fans, sorry, you're gonna have to find another site. But for our purposes, <laughs> I think uh, it, it's good. All right, I just want to set the stage. Now, I know we've covered this in a previous pod. We're talking about players coming back, but real quick, let's just set the stage of what, just a quick picture of what this Ohio State team is going to look like personnel-wise in 2020, and then let's start hitting hitting these games. Um, the Buckeyes return Heisman finalist Justin Fields, as you well know, starting receivers Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, three of five starters on the offensive line, including All-American Wyatt Davis. They lose a 2,000-yard rusher in running back J.K. Dobbins, but replace him with a more than serviceable replacement in grad transfer Trey Sermon from Oklahoma. Uh, there figures to be several immediate impact players from the 2020 class on the offensive side of the ball, starting with five-star receivers Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, as well as offensive tackle Paris Johnson. He was the number one tackle prospect in the country, and, and some people think that he'll actually he'll push for playing time at right tackle. So the Ohio State offense, I think we expect, Paige, I'm guessing you agree, will be every bit as explosive as it was in 2019. But with the departure, Dobbins probably will rely a little bit more heavily on the passing game uh, than they did in 2019. And in 2019, Ohio State was a pretty run-heavy offense. They ran the ball on 62% of its plays in 2019. Um, I, I tend to think we might see more, you know, more balance. Certainly, maybe the percentages tilt more toward the passing game in 2020. On the defensive side of the ball, that's where we're probably most of the questions reside. We know Chase Young is gone, the number two pick in the draft, the most dominant pass rusher in the game last year. Uh, Ohio State's three top uh, interior linemen, Devon Hamilton, Robert Landers, Jason Cor- Jayshon Cornell, all gone. 
Two first-round corners in Jeffrey Okuda, Damon Arnett, also gone. Their top playmaker at linebacker, Malik Harrison, and a three-year starter in first-team All-Big Ten safety in Jordan Fuller. So we know who those the players are that Ohio State uh, is looking to replace those guys. We're not going to get into that right now. But just wanted to set the stage in, in terms of what Ohio State's returning as we look at the schedule. And Paige, let's play this game. One other thing I want you to do, uh, I, I want to get your comments on each game, and then I also want to get your level of concern from 0 to 10, 0 being not concerned at all, of course, and 10 being gravely concerned for each of these games. Um, just for fun, we'll score it. So that brings okay. us to, to the season opener, September 5th against Bowling Green. Uh, Ohio State is 5-0 and all-time against the Falcons. They last met in the 2016 opener, a 77-10 Ohio State victory. Bowling Green's coming off a 3-9 campaign and a fifth-place finish in the MAC East. Uh, this should be a name-your-score game for the Bucks, I would assume. Paige, how do you see this one? And give us your concern level. Um, okay, so my concern level is zero. <laughs> and I'm going to predict right now uh, a 72-2 Buckeye win on this game right off the bat. And this is going to be a theme for the pod. <laughs> By the way, I, I love the uh, safety predictions, man. You're, I love that you're sticking with that. It's going to happen one day, and you're going to be right. I, it, it happened the very first time. Let's be clear. <laughs> it wasn't the final score, but there was a safety. So, um, no, this game. I mean, come on. Let's be right. honest. It's, I mean, a, a, three and nine. Oof, what happened to them? Yeah. Um, yeah. Not quite sure. Yeah, no, I agree with you. My concern level zero. I, you, I echo all of your sentiments on the game. Let's move on to the juicy matchup in week two. That's September 12th. Ohio State travels to Oregon, uh, to Eugene, to play the Oregon Ducks. Ohio State is 9-0 and all-time against the Ducks. Um, Ohio State and Oregon last met in 2015 in the inaugural college football playoff championship game, which, as we both remember, the Buckeyes won 42-20. to Ohio State has not played Oregon in a true road game since 1967. That was a 30-0 Ohio State win in the newly opened Autzen Stadium which was christened only a couple of weeks before that game was played. So uh, that's the last time Ohio State traveled to Oregon, and they actually have played in that stadium, which I, I didn't realize. I thought Autzen was a newer stadium. The Ducks are your defending Pac-12 champions, finishing 12-2 and with a Rose Bowl win over Wisconsin. They finished number five in the AP and coaches polls, number six in the final playoff rankings. Uh, they're replacing star quarterback Justin Herbert, who's off to the NFL, taken sixth overall by the LA Chargers. Redshirt sophomore Tyler Shuck and Boston College grad transfer Anthony Brown will compete for the starting job at quarterback. Uh, Shuck was a top 150 prospect in the 2018 class. He was the number seven pro-style quarterback in the country that year. Now the question is, will he, will he be a fit for new offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead's offense, which emphasizes a running QB? By the way, you may recognize that name, uh, Paige, Joe Moorhead. He was the architect of that pretty awesome Penn State offense in 2016 that got mm. Penn State to the, uh, the Rose Bowl. They won the Big Ten title. Uh, Moorhead spent the last two years at Mississippi State as their head coach. They decided to mutually part ways, and then Moorhead was hired this offseason as their offensive coordinator. Pretty good offensive coordinator, very respected. The Oregon Ducks also return uh, first-team All-American and Outland Trophy winner Penne Sewell at left tackle. He's a projected top-three pick. In the 2021 draft by Mel Kuyper, he's drawn comparisons to Orlando Pace. The Ducks return their leading rusher, C.J. Verdell, a second-team All-Pac-12 selection, who's coming off back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. Their leading receiver from last year is back. His name's Johnny Johnson III. He caught 57 passes for 836 yards last year. 
But receiver's one area that Oregon, Oregon doesn't really have any difference makers. Um, that's kind of the, the snapshot of them on offense. And then real quick, defensively, before I get your take, Oregon returns eight starters from a top 25 defense in 2019. They'll have arguably the best secondary in the country, led by uh, safety Brady Breeze. Breeze was last year's Rose Bowl MVP. Javon Holland, uh, he's a safety kind of a... Uh, he was Oregon's version of Sean Wade. And in fact, Pro Football Focus rated Holland, not Wade, the top slot corner in the country last year. Oregon thinks they've got five NFL guys in their secondary. They led the country with 20, sorry, second in the country with 20 interceptions. And they also returned an excellent pass rusher and sophomore defensive end, Kayvon Thibodeau, who led the Ducks with nine sacks as a freshman and, and 14 tackles for loss. Um, that's where things stand with, with Oregon's defense. What do you think? Well, I had no idea their defense was that uh, highly rated last year. Yeah. Um, that's, um, and that's crazy about their secondary, right? So it's total strength on strength. Um, you know, our offense fields and our receivers against their secondary. Yeah. So I was looking it up as you were talking, you know, the early line is a high state by six and a half. Which, wow. Okay. That seems a little actually high. Kind of, or what do you think? You know, I, at first I thought, yeah, that, 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 well, actually, no, I thought it was low. And then as you talked about the secondary, I thought, well, then, okay, maybe that makes a little bit more sense. I know they lost their quarterback, but I thought they got a Juco guy. You probably said that also. Um, it, shoot, man, on paper, this looks like a hell of a great game. I mean, what a bummer if it doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, and I was actually really thinking that this is a game we should all try and go to. Yeah. Um, you know, not that far, at least for us. Uh, would be a great environment, really, really fun. Um, if that doesn't happen, that'll be a huge, huge bummer. But yeah, I like our chances. But yeah, I mean, on the uh, on the uh, worried meter, what what's that meter we're going on? We'll just call it the concerno meter. The concern meter in <laughs> concern fantasy meter. land. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a solid seven and a half on the concern meter. Seven sure. and a half. Good. Yeah, I've got it at eight. Um, and I guess it all it all really comes down to what they have at quarterback. Boston College, he's a, he's a grad transfer, Anthony Brown. He started three seasons, well, two and a half seasons at Boston College. He got hurt last year in, in week six, and he had a lower leg injury of some kind and missed the rest of the season. It, it sounds like it's going to be a pretty good battle uh, between Shuck and, and Brown. Brown, just kind of at first glance to me, seems like he might be a better fit for Moorhead's offense. Moorhead likes a running quarterback. Uh, Brown's a good athlete. He can move now. He didn't. He didn't put up a ton of rushing numbers as a quarterback at Boston College, but he's he's a good athlete. I was watching a little tape on him today, and he can do some things with his feet. He also throws a nice deep ball, but his career completion percentage is only about fifty five percent. If I had to lay money on it, I think it's probably Brown that wins that job. You've got a new offensive coordinator coming in, and while Shuck has been with the program for two seasons, uh, you know with with the offensive approach changing because of Moorhead's arrival. Maybe he shucks the, the odd man out. Also, he's a pro-style quarterback uh, with 15 career pass attempts. I don't know. T to me, at first glance, I think Brown is probably the better fit for that offense and is probably going to be your starter. The, the one thing, Oregon does have a good running back. I mentioned him earlier. His name's uh, C.J. Verdell. He was a second-team All-Pac-12 selection. He's coming off back-to-back 1,000-yard -back seasons in 2018 and 19. Before we, we jumped on today, I was watching a little bit of the, um, the Rose Bowl from the earlier this year, and he's a short, stocky, quick, uh, 
speedy uh, running back. And uh, he's got some pop. Uh, he can get to the second level and, and do some things. I was listening to uh, Cleveland.com's Buckeye Talk podcast from a, a couple of weeks ago. They actually did a really deep dive into this game with Oregon beat writer James uh, Crepia, who, by the way, is an Ohio State grad, funny enough. Um, for some reason, they spent three hours <laughs> breaking that game down. I mean, if you really, really want to dig into this game, I invite you to, and, and you got three hours to kill, which I'm sure you don't, I invite you to, to listen to the podcast. What Crepia had said about C.J. Verdell is that he's had some durability issues. Now, he's not missed a start, but he's had trouble finishing a four-quarter game. Like, he'll have to leave a quarter at a time. He's not a big dude, but he is an impact player at that position. You know, maybe under Moorhead's office, uh, under his offense, they're going to have more of a kind of a, you know, inside zone read threat, um, you know, with Brown and Verdell. But that remains to be seen. Um, you know, it's kind of up in the air. And who knows what kind of uh, fall practices Oregon's going to have to implement this new offense and get a new quarterback ready to go. Um, either way, uh, it, it'll, it'll be intriguing. And, and, you know, if they do decide to go with, uh, with Shuck, uh, he's, he's no slouch. I mean, he was like a top 150 player in the 2018 class. Mm. The kid can play. This should be a clash of top five teams. I think we can both agree on that. Um, although Oregon has a pretty tricky opener uh, against defending FCS national champion North Dakota State, who went 16-0 and last season. Um, and they're, oh, really? Yeah, they went 16-0 last season. They won the FCS national championship. They're returning like basically the whole team and, and their quarterback, Trey Lance, who a bunch yeah, he's of the, supposed to be legit. Supposed to be legit, right? Like a top 10 pick? Yeah. So yeah. Oregon has that. They have the bison in the opener, and then they get the Buckeyes the next, the next week. So if they're not careful, you know, like they could have, uh, you know, they could be 0 1 yeah, going in that game. Yeah, don't fuck it up. Don't, the, don't, be, don't lose that game. <laughs> and I remember uh, back in 2016 when we played Oklahoma on the road, and Oklahoma got, they got like curb stomped the week before by Houston. And that kind of just mucked up what should have been like a top 10 matchup. You know, you can look at this a couple ways. Um, They could probably afford to lose this game and be fine and come out of the Big Ten. Obviously, no margin for error, but they come out of the Big Ten, a one-loss Big Ten team, a one-loss Big Ten champ. They're probably fine. Uh, But if they win this game, they probably buy themselves a cushion, like a little margin for error should they stumble later in the schedule. The other way you could look at it is... Uh, you know, if they lose this game and it comes down to Oregon and Ohio State for that fourth spot, uh, either way, it's you know, it's a high stakes game, um, and, and I'm with you. Yeah, you went deep into you went deep into to, to fantasy world there. All the <laughs> plausible scenarios of what could happen depending on who wins and and who loses. Uh, I mean, I saw what what are they preseason? They're preseason top ten team. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, man, I really hope that game goes off. I think, you know, it, it'd be guaranteed it'll be a night game. That place will be rocking. Oh, yeah. Uh, hostile environment. Um, man, that would just be a phenomenal college football game. And kudos to both those programs for scheduling it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. you, you got to give both programs a ton of credit for putting it on the line and, and scheduling that. And, hey, you know, I give Oregon a ton of credit because they they opened the season last year with Auburn. Um yeah. game they lost, yeah, right? right? And um, yeah. so kudos to them for you know, having the balls to play that game. All right, so 
We're both pretty concerned about that one. So that brings us to the following week, September 19th, the Buffalo Bulls, also from the MAC, come to Columbus. Ohio State and Buffalo have only played once. That was in the 2013 opener, which Ohio State won comfortably, 40-20. to But they didn't exactly blow Buffalo out in that game. It was a fairly competitive game. And in fact, Buffalo probably had the best player on the field that day, Khalil Mack. I remember he had a pick six of Braxton Miller in that game to kind of get Buffalo back in it. It was only a 10-point game in the third quarter before Ohio State eventually pulled away. The Bulls are coming off an 8-5 and campaign and a second-place finish in the MAC East. They're expected to contend for the MAC title this year. Uh, they return most of the defense that finished seventh in the country in total defense, fourth nationally against the run, eighth in sacks, uh, 22nd against the pass. The Bulls bring back two good defensive ends in Taylor Riggins and Malcolm Kuntz who accounted for 16.5 sacks and 20.5 tackles for loss last year. And then they also have a really good running back named Jarrett Patterson, who finished fifth in the country in rushing with 1,800 yards last season. Uh, you know, I, I think Ohio State wins going away, but you know where this game falls on the schedule, it's going to be one of those sleepy noon kicks, right? Uh, mm. More than likely. Uh, would I be surprised the Ohio State maybe comes out a little flat and this is a competitive game for a couple of quarters? How do you see this one, Paige? Yeah, you're right. I mean, and there is no question Khalil Mack was the best player on that field that Saturday. <laughs> that dude single-handedly almost won that game for them. In fact, it, for, you know, going into like the third quarter, they probably should have won that game. I've never seen anything like that. Like it was like Michael Vick-esque performance, yeah. you know, on the other side of the ball. Um, again, I have no idea anything until you just said everything you said about this team. But mm -hmm. it, I was going to say, no, this is a, a two. I'll squarely put this in the four to five category. Um, sounds like they have some, some players. Yeah. And then the, the, you know, the, the for sure letdown game, right. Coming totally. off Oregon. Um, absolutely. Especially, gosh, imagine this game noon yeah. uh, and nobody in the stands. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just got, it's got it written which is actually an interesting side note. Think about how do, not to go down this rat hole, but no fans, you know, uh, in the stand, how does that play into the, all the, the known cliches of the look ahead game, the letdown game, be really, really actually pretty interesting to dive into that in a later thought. I agree. Well, you know, this season might be a study on that, right? Yeah. Does the crowd have a bearing on it? I mean, does a hostile crowd actually fire up the opponent? Uh, maybe not having them in the stands, won't they, they're not going to be as fired up uh, or vice versa. I, I don't know. Yeah, it, I, I tend to think we're going to find out if, if the season moves forward. Um, yeah, this is another, you mentioned Oregon being a strength on strength matchup, right? The Oregon secondary against the Ohio State receivers. And in this, in this matchup with Buffalo, another strength on strength matchup between the Ohio State offensive line and the Buffalo pass rush. And, um, you know, yeah, if Ohio State comes out flat, personally, I'm going to set this one, the concern level for me at three and a half, which, you know, uh, b before I looked into this matchup, it would have been much lower. But, yeah, they, the Ohio State better be ready for this one. Uh, All right, I'm, I'm going with the five on this one. You're going with a five. Um, I know I said, yeah, I said four to five, but I'm, I'm just doing a little little research here. Uh, yeah, this is, this is a five for me. Okay. Yeah, I, I said to you and Chad over text that, once I started digging in and looking at the schedule, that there's more intrigue to this schedule than meets the eye. Uh, but this Buffalo matchup is one of them, but there's some others as well that we'll get to. All right, so we moved to September the 26th, the following week. 
the Rutgers Scarlet Knights come to town. And, uh, you know, as we well know, this series has been a total joke. Uh, up to this point, Rutgers membership in the Big Ten has been a total joke. You know, we're, we're talking about a matchup. The Buckeyes have outscored the Scarlet Knights 327 to 48 in six matchups. They're beating the, Rutgers, the Scarlet Knights by an average margin of 46 and a half points. Rutgers is coming off another last place finish in the Big Ten East. They have not won a conference game since November 4th, 2017. They beat Maryland. And the only intrigue in this matchup for me is it's the, the return of former Ohio State defensive coordinator Greg Schiano. He'll be making his return to Columbus in his second stint as Rutgers head coach. He'll be joined by former Ohio State safety Brandon White, the 2019 Rose Bowl defensive MVP. White transferred to Rutgers during the offseason. So there's a little bit of intrigue in what has otherwise been a totally lifeless series. Paige, how do you see this one? So he he won't be eligible to play, I'm sure, right? White, he's got to sit out a year. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know if he got a waiver um, and will be able to play. He's been with the program a few years. He might be a grad transfer. That's actually a good question. I don't know for sure. Yeah, not that it matters one freaking iota, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, one guy. And, you know, I, I wish it would have worked out for him, right? Yeah. High State legacy. But, uh, yeah, first first season of Shiano, this, man, I'll give this a one. Uh, but that's a gift. I was really putting it as – actually, it's a zero on my on the, <laughs> on the South Stands Concerno-meter in Fantasyland <laughs> 2020. Right. I agree with you. I've got my concern at, at zero on this one as well. It is interesting, though, kind of looking forward, and it remains to be seen how many years Shiana will get to turn things around at, at Rutgers. I would give, I would, I would assume they will give him a, a long leash, given the fact that he spent eleven seasons there from two thousand one to two thousand eleven, and uh, went a very respectable sixty eight and sixty seven over that time, and that was with thirty three losses in his first four seasons as he rebuilt the program. But after that, he went fifty six and thirty three and five and one in bowl games. He won his he won his last five bowl games there. Now, I believe Rutgers was in the Big East, if I'm not mistaken, and you know that they're they're not playing. They weren't playing a Big Ten schedule, in other words, and they weren't you know in the toughest division, one of the toughest divisions in college football as they are now. But you know, if there's anybody that can breathe life back into that program, I, I think it would be Shiano. And if you look at, at the state of New Jersey, they've got some decent prep talent there. You yeah, know, we we you know guys like uh, uh, Eli Apple. Uh, Jabril Peppers have, have come out of New Jersey. If he can get some of those kids to stay home, he's a good coach. You know, the, the, the formula is there for Rutgers to one day maybe be a respectable Big Ten program. We'll see. Yeah, I, I, they're going to have to give him three years At least. minimum. Yeah. And I think they will, right? Like, what do you have to lose? Like, who are you going to get? Who are you going to get? Right. And, and so, you know, and, and he did do it once. So there's a blueprint there. Um, you know, as much as um, I think he did absolutely forget how to coach when he was our defensive coordinator for two years. <laughs> yes, he did. Um, he probably didn't forget how to coach, so he knows what he's doing. But it's going to be a monumental rebuilding effort. Yeah, yeah. It, Ain't it happening in 2020, that's for sure. That's right, especially on September the 26th. I think uh, it should look much like the previous name your score affairs for Ohio State that day. Okay, uh, October 3rd is a bye. That's Ohio State's only bye of this season. They had two byes last year, only one this year, which thank God for that. Because what that second bye was like, it was like bye, Maryland, Rutgers. I think that's how it went. So basically they yeah. had three straight byes. Uh, and then October 10th, the Big Ten schedule begins in earnest. The Iowa Hawkeyes come to town. 
Ohio State leads the all-time series 47-15 to with three ties. Their last meeting, as we both painfully remember, was 2017. That was in Iowa City, one of the worst all-time performances that I've ever seen as an Ohio State fan. An inexplicable 55-24 to loss to the Hawkeyes. That cost Ohio State a playoff spot. There's no doubt about it. That game, at least for me, will live in Buckeye infamy as one of the three or four worst losses in program history. Um, and it, you know, my opinion on this on, on this matchup is if the Big Ten wants to create more compelling cross-divisional matchups, it might think about having the Buckeyes and Hawkeyes play more often. Uh, they've only played four times since 2009, and Iowa was very competitive in all four of those games. Uh, 2009 in Columbus, that was a 27-24 Ohio State win in overtime. I remember Iowa erased a 14-point fourth-quarter deficit in that game to force overtime. Ohio State wins it on a field goal in OT. The following season in 2010, that game was played in Kinnick. Ohio State escapes with a 20-17 win. I remember they scored the game-winning touchdown on that uh, with a minute 47 to play. On that game-winning drive, I remember... Iowa had Ohio State dead to rights. Fourth and 10, Terrell Pryor has a huge scramble to keep the drive going. They punch it in with 147 to play and win the game. 2013 in Columbus, uh, that was a 24-24 tie going into the fourth quarter before the Buckeyes pulled away and won 34-24. And then, of course, the 2017 debacle in Kinnick. If you think about it, all four of those Ohio State teams were really good. You're talking about two, two of those teams as outright Big Ten champs. 2009, 2017, the 2010 and 2013 teams both won 12 games. That 2010 team, they only lost once. They lost to Wisconsin that year. They were 12-1, and and the 2013 went undefeated in the regular season. So the point I'm trying to make here is like Iowa is undaunted. Uh, they're unafraid to play quality Ohio State teams. They play them pretty tough. They're coming off a 10-3 and campaign with a third-place finish in the Big Ten West last year. They destroyed USC in the Holiday Bowl. Now, they do lose a three-year starter at quarterback in Nate Stanley and a star offensive tackle in Tristan Wirfs. He was a first-round draft pick in the, uh, at this year's draft. Defensive end A.J. Epinesa is also gone. He's a really good defensive end. I think he was taken in the second round. Um, how do you see this game, Paige, and give me your concern level? I think you need to go back and check your stats because I'm pretty sure Nate Stanley was an eight-year starter. Um, <laughs> right? Didn't he, he was always he was there for decades. He was. I, I can't remember an Iowa game when he wasn't the quarterback. He was there JT uh, Barrett, right? <laughs> yeah. Jeez, thank God he's gone. No, this is going to be a good game. You're right. They're always undaunted when they play us. They're mm. always tough games. I mean, heck, I can even remember back when I was at, you know, the Hayden Fridays. Like, oh, yeah. He had good teams. He had number one, you know, ranked teams. Those games were always super competitive. Um, so on the concern meter, though, we have him off a bye at home. That's let's right. Not, let's not get too crazy here. I'm going to put that at about five. A five for you. Okay. A five. Is that your final? Yeah. Your final score that's, on the Concerno yeah, meter? Yeah, my final. Yes, it is on the Concerno meter. We got We got to get a sponsor for the South Stands Concerno meter. <laughs> We're gonna line that up. But um, we just thought of it, so you know, <laughs> we'll get we'll get Tansy on that. Our executive producer <laughs> who needs some some tasks associated with his title of the South Stands. <laughs> um, I'm a little more concerned about this one than you, and it's it's one game. It's one of a few games that I've flagged. I've kind of flagged in red here in my notes because Iowa is so competitive uh, with Ohio State traditionally, and I expect them to be this year despite their losses. I've got this at a seven. Uh, 
the last time we blew this team out was, you got to go all the way back to 2006. We beat them by three touchdowns in Iowa City. That was, you know, Troy Smith's Heisman year. We played in the BCS title game that year. So I'm going to say this. I, I don't know what it Maybe I'm still a little, I still have PTSD from the 2017 game. And I'm giving this Iowa team more credit than it's due. But I've got this at a seven. You yeah, do- I think I think the 2017 is adding at least a point, <laughs> a point and a half to your concernometer. Here. That's fair. Um, That's fair. <laughs> so I, I, but you're right. It could be a tight, tough game, but it's at home. Yeah, it's off a bye. Mm-hmm. We've run that first four game gauntlet. They should be up for this game. And the other funny part is like the concernometer. You know, it's like if we're not winning games by 24, we're like, oh, what's wrong with this team? But, you know, they might just have to win this one by eight or nine. You never yeah. know. Well, yeah. And, you know, we mentioned at the top that Ohio State is they've lost a lot of playmakers. Right. We're this is not going to be the Chase Young led defense with Jeffrey Okuda and Malik Harris and facing off against Oregon and Iowa. Right. We're, we're, we're going to have some untested, unproven players, guys who have played, but you know, more as role guys and not that they weren't really counted on as they will be this year. So I can see some of these games where maybe Ohio State wins comfortably because they've just got, they just overpower you, overwhelm you. I, I certainly hope they'll have that kind of defense this year, but there are a lot of questions uh, for me. And I, and I could see this game maybe being a little closer where maybe if it were played last year, Ohio State wins more comfortably. Okay, let's move on to the following week. October 17th, Ohio State goes to East Lansing to face the Michigan State Spartans. Ohio State leads this series 33-14 to all-time. The Buckeyes have won the last four matchups, including a 34-10 win in the shoe last season. Uh, after 13 seasons in East Lansing, 114 wins, three Big Ten titles, one playoff appearance, head coach Mark D'Antonio is gone. Uh, after one season at Colorado, Paige, you, you remember him, Mel Tucker yeah. arrives in East Lansing to replace uh, D'Antonio as head coach. Uh, three-year starting quarterback Brian Lewerke is gone. He's another one that <laughs> seemed like he was there forever, right? Uh, but uh, Lewerke's gone as Michigan State's uh, starting quarterback. So, too, are Michigan's two leading receivers from last season, Cody White and Daryl Stewart Jr. So Stewart Jr. caught a touchdown in last year's matchup in the shoe. On defense, Tucker needs to replace defensive ends uh, Kelly, Ke- Kenny Willekes, sorry, and defensive tackle Raekwon Williams, both those two are off to the NFL. Now, Willickus and Williams combined for 15 sacks, 23 tackles for loss in 2019. That's a lot of production on that defensive line. Star linebacker Joe Bocci uh, will also not be back. Now, now, Bocci actually failed a drug test at the end of October and was dismissed from the team, but he was really good in his years in East Lansing. So they're going to be looking to replace Bocci's production at linebacker. Finally, uh, Sparty loses its top corner as well. Josiah Scott, he led the team in pass breakups and interceptions. Uh, this game might have looked a little scarier on the schedule five years ago. Paige, how does it look to you now? Not very scary. Um, all the, the litany of guys you just said that they lost. Mm-hmm. Um, the other question is, you know, what was D'Antonio doing with recruiting these last few years? Yeah. They've just not, they haven't performed even at, you know, plucking the three-star guys out of Ohio that, you know, right. go to Michigan State and just, you know, make you want to pull your hair out. Um, so I'm not overly concerned about this, although you never know, could be, you know, I'm looking at the schedule, October 17th, it could be miserable weather or something. It's Mm -hmm. weird. Um, but notwithstanding that it's a three on my, uh, concern meter. Got as a three. Okay. 
Yeah, I uh, this is a rebuilding year. I think uh, fair to say for Michigan State, you got to. The game is in East Lansing, but new head coach, new starting quarterback, uh, a brand new defense. Really, uh, you know, he's replacing a lot of production there. I'm going to score this one on the concernometer at a four, and that's maybe just more out of uh, you know respect for what you know historically Michigan State has done in this series. Um, but I, I figure this should be a game Ohio State wins pretty comfortably, even though it's on the road. All right. So that takes us to the following week, October the 24th. Uh, this is the game that uh, everyone has circled on the schedule. Ohio State travels to ha Happy Valley to play Penn State. Ohio State leads this series 21-13, but 19-8 since Penn State joined the Big Ten in 1993. In, in 2013, with Penn State still depleted from sanctions stemming from the Jerry Sandusky scandal, Ohio State throttled the Lions 63 to 14 in the shoe. You probably remember that game. I certainly do. Bill O'Brien left for the NFL after that season. Enter James Franklin. Uh, that was 2014. And since then, Penn State has been far and away Ohio State's toughest conference foe. I, I think you would agree with me on that. Uh, the 2014 game went to double overtime. Now, that Penn State team was not very good, but they took the eventual national champions to double overtime that night. Uh, then Penn State wins a thriller in 2016. Fast forward to 2017 and 2018, Ohio State wins nail biters in those games, overcoming double digit fourth quarters in both of those games to win by one point. And then last year, Penn State erases a 21 to nothing Buckeye lead to push that game well into the fourth quarter. Uh, this has been a very good series uh, since Franklin got to Happy Valley. Now, we've talked a lot about what's going wrong for Michigan against Ohio State, and we've, we've raised the question does Michigan emphasize the rivalry enough? Well, hey, James Franklin at Penn State clearly emphasizes the Ohio State game. It, it, Harbaugh might think about taking a page out of Franklin's uh, book uh, in this game. Before I get your take page, let me just go through uh, what Penn State returns this year. Now, they're coming off a second-place finish in the Big Ten East at 11-2 last year. They put up 53 points and a win over number 17, Memphis State in the Cotton Bowl. Star receiver K.J. Hamler and star defensive end Yedder Gross Matos are both gone to the NFL, but... Starting quarterback Sean Clifford returns, along with leading rusher Journey Brown, who I really liked. I thought Brown had a nice game for Penn State in the shoe uh, back in uh, November. And uh, second-team All-Big Ten tight end Pat Fryermuth returns. On defense, you got All-American linebacker Micah Parsons. I think he's going to win the Buckus Award. He'd, he, man, Parsons would have looked really nice in scarlet and gray, right? I think we were in on that kid to the very end. Yeah. Uh, safety Lamont Wade also returns. Now, if you remember, it was Parsons and Wade. They both they forced like four fumbles that day and got Penn State back into that game. Wade is back. And then pay, Penn State's uh, defensive end, Shaka Tony, second on the team in sacks last year. He's also back. So plenty of playmaking returns on both sides of the ball for Penn State. This game is played in Happy Valley, we think, in a whiteout. We certainly know Penn State's going to make every effort to make it a whiteout. COVID-19 be damned. Paige, how do you see this one? Um, yeah, that, so I was looking it up. I saw, uh, an early line of the Buckeyes being a point and a half favorite, which seems, seems about right. But I know we were joking about it in the beginning. If there's no, and you know, this will be a night game. That's the other thing. It's right. always a night game when we play at happy Valley, not necessarily when they play in Columbus. That's another thing that, you know, I, I don't quite understand. <laughs> um, but that being said, honestly, like is just, 
annoying and awful as those freaking tiger screeches that they do over the loudspeaker and the whiteout. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a pretty daunting thing when that's going on, especially at night. And if they don't have that, I think that's a gigantic. That's a gigantic uh, big deal um, and a big benefit for Ohio State. And yeah. so, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. So far, we've gone through these games. I mean, um, obviously, our concernometer games are going to be highest for the ones where Ohio State's on the road. But not having fans in the stands <laughs> might kind of be working in their favor. So, so why don't you give me two uh, give me two concernometer scores for this one? One with fans, one without. Ten and eight. Ten and eight. If a, if, yeah. yeah, if there's, yeah, I mean, this game's a, a toss-up. I mean, let's be honest. It's a coin flip. Whoever plays best is going to win. Yeah. Um, you know, and so how is that not a ten? Especially because we're playing on the road. If the fans aren't there, then it gives us a little bit of a break, and so I take it down to an eight. All right. I have it at a nine, but I'm right there with you. I mean, this is, this is the game on the schedule, and the stakes are high. I mean, you lose this one, you lose pole position in your division, and you lose this game, you might not even make the Big Ten title game. Uh, so uh, Penn State would then take, you know, obviously pole position to get to the Big Ten title game, and then probably pole position uh, for that playoff spot. So I, I'm yeah, this is this is for sure. Just looking at the schedule, this is the game you can't lose. Can't lose, right? It. Because it's not necessarily. If you lost or the one lost team, it, even with the college football playoff, when you lose is still hugely critical, even like it was in the BCS. If Ohio State loses this game, you're right. They're probably, you know, they'll lose every tiebreaker to Penn State, and it'll probably knock them out of, you know, playoff contention. It's the one game on their schedule. Well, well, maybe Michigan, too, that you can't lose and recover from. Right. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. I mean, it's certainly been that game, the, you know, the last four or five years, for sure. That, that, that's exactly, uh, well, they were able to recover from losing on the road in 2016 and get into the playoff anyway. But, uh, but certainly, no, I agree with you. It's the one game they probably can ill afford to lose on the schedule. You know, if you're looking at Oregon, Penn State, and Iowa, well, actually, chronologically, Oregon, Iowa, and Penn State, you open with Oregon, you know, early in the season in the non-conference. You play Penn, uh, Iowa and Penn State early in the Big Ten schedule. I mean, that is as tough a trifecta of games I think any program is going to play in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Yeah, for sure. Well, and, you know, Penn State, you're right. Like, just the comparison to Michigan, and my God, how they pulled themselves. I mean, they were knocking on the death penalty. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and the fact that they were able to come back as strongly as they have is pretty damn impressive. They give us everything we want every year. Every Ohio State fan knows that. Yeah. This year will be no different. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, okay. So Ohio State then travels from Happy Valley. They go back home on Halloween, October the 31st, and face the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Um, Ohio State is 7-1 and one all time against the Huskers. They're 5-1 and one since Nebraska joined the Big Ten. Ohio State has won five in a row. Nebraska's only win in this series came in 2011 in Lincoln against interim head coach Luke Fickle. That was kind of the, you know, the throwaway season, right? Uh, Tressel resigns yeah. and Terrell Pryor leaves and all the suspensions. Scott Frost squad is coming off a really disappointing fifth place finish in the Big Ten West at five and seven. You know, they were the chic pick uh, last offseason to challenge Wisconsin and come out of the Big Ten West. I had them making the Big Ten title game. I feel pretty stupid now. Having made that prediction, uh, after a three and one finish, or pardon me, a three and one start 
the Huskers finished the 2019 season losing six of eight. The game in Lincoln between these two teams was not much of a contest. Ohio State dominated, dominated that game start to finish. Nebraska's going to return starting quarterback Adrian Martinez, along with leading rusher Diedrich Mills. Versatile sophomore uh, receiver H-back Wandale Robinson will return. Now, it remains to be seen whether leading receiver J.D. Spielman will be back. He took a leave of absence for the program uh, from the program in early March to address a personal health issue, and I don't know, I, I don't think there's an update uh, as to whether he'll be back. Uh, we remember the last time uh, Nebraska came to Columbus. That was 2018. The Huskers made it a game well into the fourth quarter. Ohio State escaped with a 36-31 win. That was, as we remember, a fairly flawed Ohio State team you referenced, Greg Schiano, forgetting how to coach. That was the season where the Ohio State defense had you know, a half dozen embarrassing performances. They also had trouble running the ball. Ohio State uh, did, although they ran the ball pretty well that day with J.K. Dobbins. Uh, but it was a good game. Yeah. Huskers come to the shoe after Ohio State's big matchup with Penn State. Is there any chance, Paige, of Ohio State coming into this one flat? A letdown game? How do you see it? Yeah, that's that's always a possibility. So you have to add two on the concernometer. Just they're one point five. So normally I put this game at about oh, let's say a two, maybe a three, but with the 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 flat uh, range coming off the Penn State game, yeah, I'll put this at a four point five. I don't think it'll be very competitive, yeah. but you never know. Yeah. I, you know, looking back to last year's uh, game, if, if you're hopeful for a close game in this one, then you, you could not have liked what you saw in last year's game with the Nebraska defense just being punchless against the Ohio State offense. I think it's going to be tough. Uh, you know, maybe a, Nebraska can counter with some offense with Adrian Martinez if they can figure out what, what ailed them last year and turn things around. They can do things on, on offense. The question is defensively. Can they do anything? I'm I'm going to set the concernometer at a 3.0. I, your your concerns about them coming out flat, duly noted here. I think that's definitely a possibility. And Scott Frost is a good coach. Martinez is a good quarterback. Would not be surprised if this is a good game. You know, well after the half and you know three quarters. But I'm going to set my concern at this at uh, 3.0. There you have it. There you go. All right. So that brings us to November the seventh, the following week, also in the shoe. The Indiana Hoosiers come to Columbus. Ohio State leads this series 76-9 with four ties. Indiana's last win in this series was 1988. That was John Cooper's first year at Ohio State, which was a disaster. Um, the Buckeyes overpowered IU 51-10 in Bloomington last season, which I was a, a bit surprised by. I thought that was going to be pretty competitive because it's been a pretty competitive series between these two schools lately. Indiana has been able to hang uh, with Ohio State into the second half of many of the last seven or eight games. I mean, they've even held halftime leads in the 2015 and 2017 games. IU will be returning most of its roster from a team that turned in one of the best seasons in program history. The Hoosiers were 8-5 and five last year. That was their best finish since 1993. They lost a close game, 23-22 to to Tennessee in the Gator Bowl, and that was actually a pretty decent Tennessee team that started to play well toward the end of the year. Quarterback Peyton Ramsey is gone. He transferred to Northwestern, and that paves the way for Michael Penix Jr., who actually won the starting job last season but was only able to play six games because of injuries. And I think Penix Jr. is actually probably going to be a tougher matchup for the Ohio State defense because of his athleticism. Paige, how do you see this one? Yeah, it was a surprising game last year. 
because they're sort of pesky, right? Yeah. You know, and they always they come out with a good offensive game plan, uh, and we just don't usually roll them like we did last year. So I'm going to say it's going to revert back to the norm for us here. Um, not overly concerned, but you know, probably be a tougher game than we you know anticipate going into it. So I'll put that one in about a. I'm gonna. I'm actually going to give it a five. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that, actually. I, I had it at a four, but I'm going to bump it to a five. And, you know, I mentioned at the top of the recording that, you know, if, I feel like there's a little bit more to the Ohio State schedule than meets the eye. I mean, there are the obvious Oregon's Penn State matchups, but some of these other matchups with the more middling teams on the schedule have a little bit more intrigue. And this, this matchup with Indiana is one of them because they're returning, you know, basically their whole two deep from last year. And, right. and, and a quarterback in Penix Jr. that I think could be a you know, could present some problems for the Ohio State defense. Now, I'm not going to compare him to Trevor Lawrence, but if you look at what Lawrence did as an athletic quarterback against that Ohio State defense last year in the Fiesta Bowl, and Penix Jr. has that kind of athleticism as a runner. So I'm with you on this one. I, I think uh, Ohio State has to be on the lookout here, maybe mild upset alert in this one in the shoe. Uh, that takes us to... The following week, November 14th, Ohio State returns to College Park to face the Maryland Terps. Ohio State is 6-0 all-time against the Terps. This is a series that's almost been as laughable as Rutgers, save for the 2018 overtime debacle, which was uh, you know, probably the worst performance by an Ohio State defense in a victory that, that I've ever seen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but the, the Buckeyes uh, throttled Maryland last year in the shoe, 73-14. to 14. Now, that was amid rumors that a member of the Maryland coaching staff had snitched on Chase Young, which led to Young's two-game suspension for accepting a loan from a family friend to fly his girlfriend to the Rose Bowl. That was pretty interesting. Those were just rumors, but those were the circumstances. A lot of people thought maybe Ryan Day was running up the score. You know, Maryland's coming off a disappointing 3-9 and nine finish to 2019. If you remember in 2018, they opened the season beating Texas, and then they took us down to the wire in overtime. We were life and death to beat them. A lot of folks thought Mike Loxley's team going into 2019 uh, could make some noise in the Big Ten East, and instead they, instead they fell flat, 3-9. and nine. Now, they did just get some, in, uh, some good news. I don't know if you saw this, but Talia Tungavailoa, Tua Tungavailoa's brother, little brother, just transferred from Alabama to Maryland. And he's going to have to get a waiver to play this season. But uh, that's a pretty nice pickup for them. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, Tunga, huge deal. Huge deal. Now, Tonga Vailoa isn't the prospect that his brother was. He's a top 200 prospect. He was the fifth-rated dual-threat QB in 2009, according to 24-7 Sports. But that's, he's a nice player. Also, Maryland went out on the recruiting trails and scored a commitment from five-star freshman receiver Rakeem Jarrett. Uh, so Jared will be in College Park this fall and would figure to make an, an immediate impact. Now, if, you, if, if they can pair him with Tonga Vailoa, you know, maybe Maryland's got uh, a little bit yeah. of a chance to compete in this one. Paige, how do you see it? Yeah, I think that's the uh, – you could have two, right? Does Tua get the waiver and play uh, or not? Um, right. If he doesn't, it's a, it's a four. If he does, stack game could easily be a six they're they're a weird team right you're right like i remember I, I i couldn't remember if it was last year or two years ago but yeah they beat texas they came out just they looked like holy cow this team is like the oregon ducks of 2011 <laughs> or something and then just the wheels came off yeah. so you're never quite sure what you're going to get with them but if you go to sleep on them 
they can hang one on you. God, yeah. we were life and death to win that game two years ago. Should have never won that. So, yeah. yeah, this is a pretty intriguing game as well. Yeah, yeah, some some hidden intrigue in this one. I, I agree with you. I I have the concern meter down to, at a two. Um, I, I think. Uh, well, Maryland may be able to put up some points on that Ohio State defense. I, I don't know that the Maryland defense has any hope of, of getting any stops uh, whatsoever on the Ohio State offense. So I'm going to set it at a two, but there is some intrigue there. Uh, and, and as you say, you can't, can't sleep. They can't sleep on this team now, especially if Tunga Bailoa is going to be uh, eligible. All right, so we're getting toward the end here. November 21st. Now, this is a game I'm really interested to talk about this is a trip to champaign illinois for the buckeyes to face off with the illinois fighting that, illini th- there's a line i never thought i would hear in my life <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're interested in illinois football i, I, really? I know i know i well i i'll explain but but yeah i i, I agree Please with you do. I, this I, should be fascinating <laughs> i i didn't think i'd ever utter those words but uh, especially when you consider high state leads the series 69 30 with three ties uh, the Buckeyes have won the last nine. The Fighting Illini's last win in this series was the infamous 2007 Juice Williams game in the shoe. Do you remember that game? I do. Uh, I do State, remember that game. That Ohio guy St- killed us. Oh, God. Yeah, Ohio State was the number one team in the country that uh, that day or that, that season uh, going into that game, and they ended up losing 28-21. I remember it was one of the weirdest finishes to an Ohio State loss that I can remember because – I think Illinois got the ball with us. They had the ball with a seven-point lead in like eight and a half minutes to go in the game, and they ran out the clock. Like Ohio State could not get a stop on Juice Williams. It was just Q run after Q run after Q run, and they could not get a stop. He was just six yards, seven yards, eight yards. Anyway, Illinois is coming off a surprising six and seven campaign in a fourth-place finish in the Big Ten West. Uh, 2019 was a big step forward for this program under Lovey Smith. Highlighted by the big upset win over number six, Wisconsin. And then they also had a huge 25-point comeback win over Michigan State in East Lansing. And then they had yet another big comeback against Michigan. I think they, they, they erased a four-touchdown deficit in that game, only to fall short. Um, Illinois returned 17 starters from that 2019 squad. Nine on offense, including starting quarterback Brandon Peters. He's the Michigan transfer. I think he's a pretty solid quarterback. Uh, and eight on defense. And this is why I'm excited to talk about this. And well, that's not the only reason why, because they return a decent competitive team. But Champaign's been a weird place to play over the years. And you know, I like to take a historical view um, of these traditional Big Ten champion uh, matchups, I mean. So uh, it's been a weird place for Ohio State teams to play. But first, before I go in to my take, I want to get yours. How do you see this game? And give me your concern on this. Not very concerned, but you are right. Uh, that is a weird place to play. And mostly, isn't it because it's all there's like a seventy mile an hour wind in that place? I was just going to mention that. Yes, and, and so it's just like you be, you can become very one dimensional really really quickly because right? you just can't throw the ball because the wind is just li- swirling at you know tornadic <laughs> levels. But um, I'd put this, you know. Now you have the look ahead factor here. That's right. So, it's the week before Michigan. Right. So maybe well, I give it a three, I guess. Okay. You give it a three. So so here's my take on this. Memorial Stadium, as you've mentioned, is like a wind tunnel, especially in the late fall. 
And uh, if you if just kind of looking historically at, at uh, how Ohio State has fared in that stadium, some really good Ohio State teams have gone into that stadium and barely lived to tell about it. The 2002 team, now I remember you and I watched this game together. 2002, <laughs> Ohio State goes, goes into that stadium against a five, what would be a 5-7 and seven Illinois team. The game goes to overtime. Ohio State barely escapes 23-17. We're talking about the eventual national champions. Ekes out that win. I was sweating bullets for three and a half hours watching the game. I know you were too. And in, in 2006, four years later, uh, the Buc- that Buckeye team would play in the BCS title game. They had the eventual Heisman winner. And Troy Smith, you know, Ted Ginn on that team, Anthony Gonzalez, go on down the line, James Laurinaitis. That Ohio State team barely escapes with a 17-10 win against an Illinois team that would finish 2-10. In 2010, you know, an Ohio State team that would win 12 games and finish number five in the country, they couldn't put the Illini away until the last two minutes of that game. Now, that was a decent Illinois team. They finished seven and six. But, uh, you know, the, we're talking about a team in Ohio State that won 12 games, finished fifth in the country, uh, couldn't put that one away until the final two minutes of that game. They get out of there with a 24-13 win. And then finally, in 2013, Urban Meyer takes his squad in there. They jump out to a 35-7 lead late in the second quarter. But by the fourth quarter, it's a 12-point game. And Ohio State can't get any stops on this shitty Illinois offense. Illinois finished 4-8 and eight that year. It's a 12-point game with nine minutes to play. Illinois has the ball. Ohio State ends up winning. But weird shit happens in that stadium. It doesn't really seem to matter how good Ohio State is or how bad Illinois is. So, And this is a decent Illinois team that's got a big upset win under its belt from last year against Wisconsin. I'm going to set this one at a 5.5 on the concern meter. And I'm going to put Ohio State on a, on a mild upset alert here. Uh, the mm. week before Michigan, potentially looking ahead to Michigan. I like it. Yeah, the, there's no doubt about it. It's a weird place to play. The stands aren't full. It's windy. It's, mm-hmm. The weather's going to be miserable because it's going to be, what, November 21st? Right. So, yeah, absolutely. And it's probably the dreaded noon kick, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you're right. It could could be could be more to this one than meets the eye or at first glance, absolutely. It's, it's these interdivisional matchup with when Ohio State has to go on the road and face a team uh, that that, that you know, they don't see that often, right? Like Purdue's another one. They go to West Lafayette, and that's a weird place to play. I can go all the way back to the 80s and, and, and rattle off a bunch of games where good Ohio State teams went in there and just, you know, shit the bed. So right. th- there are some stadiums in the Big Ten that are just – Ohio State goes there and they're just lulled to sleep, like as you say, by maybe a small crowd or a crappy, you know, early noon kick, and they just play uninspired and they they either barely escape or they end up getting upset. Okay, I still think Ohio State wins. Mild upset alert in, in my case, five point five on the concern meter. That takes us to the season finale. As always, Ohio State will finish the season November the twenty eighth with Michigan. This game goes back to Ohio Stadium. You know, it's hard to believe. The Michigan still leads this series all time, 58 to 51 with six ties. Ohio State has won the last eight. They've won 17 of the last 19. You know, as we all know, Jim Harbaugh's 0-5 against Ohio State since becoming Michigan's head coach in 2015. Only once since he took the helm has this game been legitimately close. That was the 2016 double overtime game. You know, against Harbaugh, Ohio State's averaging 44 points a game. They're winning by an average margin of 19. The results only seem to be getting more lopsided if we're talking about 62-39 in 2018, 56-27 last year. Um, 
2020 looks like a rebuilding season for Harbaugh. Starting quarterback Shea Patterson's graduated. Dylan McCaffrey and Joe Milton are expected to battle for that job. Now, maybe it's a good thing Patterson's gone for Michigan, but I don't know that McCaffrey and Milton are getting anybody all hot and bothered. Harbaugh also has to replace four or five starters on the offensive line. Wide receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones, who you and I talked about in the last pod, he's gone. He's a Cleveland Brown now. Tyreek Black uh, is also gone. He's transferred to Texas. And on defense, Michigan loses their top three tacklers from 2019. Linebackers Kalik Hudson and Jordan Glasgow, as well as safety Josh Metellus. And their top pass, pass rusher, Josh Uche, is gone, as well as their top cornerback, Lavert Hill. They returned some decent skill on offense. Ronnie Bell and Nico Collins returned at wide receiver. They were Michigan's top two wide receivers. Hassan Haskins at running back, who I thought played pretty well for Michigan down the stretch. I'm not sure how much help Harbaugh is going to get from his 14th-rated 2020 freshman class. Seems like kind of a ho-hum effort by, by Harbaugh. Uh, you know, on the recruiting front, we'll see. Um, Paige, how do you see this one? It's, it's, it's pretty astonishing that there's legitimately four, maybe five games on the Buckeye schedule that have me more concerned than this one. <laughs> I, I mean, legitimate. Like I'm, I, I'll give it a one, but I'm really a zero. I'm just not. And <laughs> and, and how could you not be? And 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 maybe that'll be right. It, it goes back to like that argument that we've had before. Is this still a rivalry? And we're all like, of course, it's still a rivalry. And it's only because probably specifically our age, but anybody that's you know 25 would just be like, well, what are you talking about? Like this game isn't close, it hasn't been close. 17 of 19 does not constitute a rivalry. Maybe the second you know we, we rest on it, it changes. Right. But back to my original thought, there are legitimately five other games they have a higher uh, propensity to lose, I believe, than this game. It's just, I just, I can't envision a scenario um, you know, of it happening. I, I, I don't know what it is, but I bet you right now, I mean, they're, are they an eight point favorite in this game? Nine point, maybe even double digits. Uh, I would, I would think double digits would be my guess. Low double digits. Wow. You know? Yeah. So you're, you're, where, where do you fall on, on the concern meter in this one? I'm a one. You're a one. Wow. One. Okay. Uh, I really want to be a zero. <laughs> Just to spite him. <laughs> I, yeah. You know what? I'm going zero. I'll even call this. I'll call the safety. I, I just, again, like, I just don't know how you could be concerned that, you know, even, even if the teams were evenly matched, you know, like all the intangible stuff. And by the way, like I'm on record, I don't really, I don't really think it matters that we stress the game you know 365 days a year like okay but it, it, the second you start you know to play football you play football um mm-hmm. it, it, i i just you know and then it kind of goes back to this whole talent you, you know equation but um I, I just i cannot envision a scenario um you know of of michigan pulling it out L- less something like Harbaugh does something crazy like announces his last game and, you know, Michigan's three and nine and they go in and they win one for the Gipper. I mean, it would have to be just some totally absurd circumstance. That's like the Earl uh, Bruce style, right? From the 87 yeah, exactly. game, right? Right, right. Yeah. Or he yeah, gets fired. Right, right. right. <laughs> I mean, it was, it's, it's going to take something like that for them to get a win in this game. 
it, it, it certainly feels that way to me, that there has to be some kind of extenuating circumstances that would really tip the balance in Michigan's favor. Um, no, I'm with you. I, I said it just like perhaps, I guess, out of his, historical respect for the rivalry. I've got it, this, uh, con- my concernometer at a four. Um, but this, is, this looks like a rebuilding year for, for Michigan. Uh, they've had, the losses are significant on both sides of the ball, especially on defense. And um, I also think Ohio State's in their head. I think there's yeah. a psychological well, edge are. that they have to go with a significant talent advantage. And, you know, if, if Michigan isn't going to able to, if they can't muster some kind of psychological or emotional edge in this game to compensate for a talent deficit, and that's how, that's how upset, upsets happen in college football, right? And, and if you're unable to do that, and you're already facing a, a significant gulf in talent between the two schools, um, I can't see how that bodes well for Michigan at all. I mean, one thought I had was, okay, the last couple seasons, Michigan was burdened by, you know, preseason expectations, lofty preseason expectations. A lot of the pundits were picking Michigan to win the Big Ten. You know, Shea Patterson was a Heisman candidate. Um, I, I don't think they're going to have those kind of expectations this year, not with the losses they've had. Um, so maybe they can kind of lay in the weeds and, and, and surprise some people this year, but not this Ohio State team, not this program, not, not with the way Ohio State places the emphasis that it does on this rivalry. I don't think Michigan's ever going to sneak up on Ohio State. So I'm with you on this one. I think Ohio State wins big uh, in this game. And um, questions will continue to abound about the the health of this rivalry. Now, if you remember, when we debated this, uh, you know, last year on the pod, I was on record of being pretty concerned about the health of this rivalry, just from the perspective of not necessarily regional interest. Obviously, the regional interest will always be there. Um, I'm talking about, you know, a great rivalry has to have national interest, right? It has to be bigger than just, you know, the, the two schools in those regions. It has to really kind of draw in a national audience. And I have a hard time believing that this game still does that. Um, unless people are tuning in to see Ohio State, who has had, you know, that has an impact on the playoff picture every single year. Um, but I love it. Yeah, there's no question. Yeah, there's no question that that factors into it. And, you know, one thing I was thinking about, you know, how many coaches now have cycled through in the last 25 years on both sides of the program, and the results are always the same. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, ever since Trestle showed up, so you got Trestle, you got Meyer, and you got Ryan Day. On their side, um, Carr, Hope, Rich Rod, and now Harbaugh, seven coaches. So, you, you know, you could make the argument, oh, some new coach might come in and really, you know, on Michigan side, but but there's been seven coaches yeah. in the last twenty plus years, and the results are always the same. Always like the same. so, what? What does how, that how tell do you, you? How does this? How does this change? I don't know. Well, I think you made a, an interesting point when we debated this last fall. You had asked the question: Is is Michigan closer to being Nebraska than it is Ohio yeah. State, where they're at a regional geographical disadvantage? in this rivalry where they, they don't have the talent in their backyard to continue, you know, to, to, to continue to, to, to compete with Ohio State year in and year out. I think there's something to that. And I think that might also explain while the faces have changed, you know, in, in those, uh, you know, on the sidelines as head coach for both programs, while those, while those personalities' faces have changed, the results have been the same. And that would seem to suggest or point to just Ohio State having the natural resources 
in their backyard to continue to, to dominate the rivalry. All right. Yep. Good stuff. Hey, man, we're at a minute, or sorry, a minute, an hour 20. I think wow. we've covered some serious ground here. Why don't we, why don't we shell, unless, unless you're itching to talk about no. it. I was going to why don't we go ahead and no. shelve the, uh, the NIL uh, discussion for, for a later time. And, yeah, no, uh, let's do it. This was great. You're awesome. right. I mean, I, I, I did a cursory glance at the schedule, uh, but of course, your exhaustive research. There's some there's some tougher games in that schedule than you know at first glance. Yeah. So uh, yeah. should it's be fun. fun to walk through that. Yeah, 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 that was fun to walk through it, and and it's you know in fantasy land. I mean, in remember, fantasy every, land. we're still in fantasy. We're land still in here. fantasy. Boy, I I really hope we do get a season though because. Uh, the way last year ended, it just agonizingly in that in the Fiesta Bowl in a game you and I both know Ohio State should have won. Uh, man, it would be such a bummer if if they could not get another crack at it this year. Uh, yeah. You know, so we'll we'll hope and pray. And then you know the, the bigger picture, of course, is that if college football comes back, that means the rest of our lives have returned to normal for the most part, which you know I'm really hoping for. So, hey, buddy, thanks so much for making the time, man. I know it was a busy one, crazy weekend for you today. I really appreciate it. And, okay, uh, job, dude. It was yeah, fun likewise, as always. Buddy. All right, pal. We'll talk again soon, okay? You've been listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or email us at thesouthstandsosu at gmail.com.